We are continuing uh, through our study on the book of Romans. We're, we are in Romans. We're in the sixth chapter, uh, Lord willing. This will be the uh, last week in the, in the sixth chapter. Gary has asked me two or three times this week. Now, you are finishing that and again this morning. Oh, ye of little faith. But you may have reason to have little faith because it's in me and not the Lord. Uh, so, so that is the goal. And what I wanted to start with and what I wanted to start by kind of setting the tone and asking the question of is. Or, or making a statement, not asking the question, making a statement. Is that there is a higher authority. There is a higher authority. Lewis is not the authority in life, even over my own life. There is a higher authority. We do not rule the cosmos. We're not in charge. We do not dictate what is right and what is wrong. And I think all around us and in all of life, you see uh, one of the things that makes the world, makes Christian circles go awry is that I think we get this order backwards all the time. I mean, I was reminded yesterday um, as the tragedy unfolds with the with the rally where the people were clashing and people were uh, injured and some were killed. I'm reminded of how broken this world is to where someone could confess the name of Christ and even use like has been done for hundreds of years, use the name of Christ to promote racism. Isn't it a shame? And it's been going on for a, for a really long time. And, and if you want to know why these type of things occur under the banner of Christianity at times, it's because whoever is making these claims, what they have done is they have inverted the gospel and the gospel is about them and they're the authority. And when we become the authority, when we become God, all of a sudden we recreate God in our image. And so God begins to look like us. So if we have prejudice, guess what? God has prejudices. If we have certain likes, guess what? God has those certain likes. If we have dislikes, God has those dislikes. And brothers and sisters, this is not the gospel. As we started the book of Romans, remember, we spent some time talking about that phrase in chapter one, that this is the gospel of God. That it is from him and about him. And from the very beginning of this book and throughout the entire scripture, the scripture we read this morning from Isaiah, what we understand and what we glean is that God is the God of the universe and he is worthy of all honor and all praise. And we must get this right. And Romans chapter one through five is all about setting this right, is it not? What we learn from our However long we've now been in Romans, I think a couple of years through one chapters, one through five should have been and should continue to be in chapter one through five should be this. That me, Lewis. Is a sinner. And I am helpless and I am hopeless. And not only that, but I am intoxicated, I am drunk on my passions and my desires and those are connected to this world and the, the hopes and the pleasures 
of this world. That I am given over to my passions. That I'm believing my own version of what is right or wrong in God. Because of his great love. Ransoms this idolater. Is that not amazing? That God, the God of the universe, the only God, comes and looks at someone like Lewis, who is pretending to be God and trying to usurp God's authority and trying to usurp God's power over his own life and looks at me in pity and love and in mercy, sends his son, Jesus, to die on the cross and ransoms me. So that my standing before God is solely based on one thing, and that's God's love and his mercy for me. And at this moment, at this moment, everything changes. The order is made right. And this is wonderful, great, good news. But the problem in Christian circles sometimes is that we don't understand that this wonderful, great, good news doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at salvation. The Christian life, the Christian life is a lifelong pursuit of holiness. That God just doesn't change us one time. He's continually changing us and molding us into the man or woman that he has created us to be. And we will never be, we will never be there until glory. But that's kind of the the position of the Christian life that drives some of us crazy is that we are already his sons and daughters and he has already placed us as his children. But the goal of the Christian life is that we don't stop there, that we're constantly moving and changing. And that's what this passage is about. Remember that the context here, we're going to emphasize really verses 19 through 23, God willing. But remember that what this passage is about. Paul is answering an objection in verse 15. What then shall we sin because we're not under the under grace, under the law, but under grace? May it never be. And this is a real legitimate question. If you truly understand what I just said about our only hope, our only hope of being made right with God is based on Jesus. Then this is a natural question. Okay, well, God does all the work. So you just keep on living like you want to. You can keep on sinning because God has saved you based on his own love and his own mercy. And Paul says, may it never be in what he says. He kind of lays out this description of a Christian life. And he says, it can never be because when you were saved, when God ransomed you for his own. He changed your desires. And it's not just a one time change, you're now saved, but it's that he is in the process of doing a greater and greater work in your life. And and we looked last week, we spent a lot of time at verse 17. Let's just look there real quickly. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. And what Paul is doing through these verses is he's saying that you can't continue to sin Because there's two options in this world. You are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to righteousness. And if you are truly a believer, you are now a slave to righteousness. And God does that. God does that by changing your heart and changing your desires to where you desire godliness. John MacArthur uh, puts it this way. 
this is not a direct quote. This is a paraphrase of Johnny Mac. Those of us who are in his tight circle call him that. He loves that. No, I don't know if he loves it. Probably wouldn't. He'll probably come smack me if he hears me say that. But he talks about that, that, that God, he talks about God's creative miracle. That when we're saved, that God creatively and miraculously makes you into an obedient person. When talking about this text, he talks about that when we are saved, that God miraculously and creatively creates you, changes you into an obedient person. And one of the other things we saw last week that we need to have in our mind, and this works both ways, is that this doesn't mean, this does not mean that we are, that sinners or believers are fighting against their will in one of those two paths, slave to, to sin or slave to righteousness. In fact, the Bible tells us and it unfolds that it's quite the opposite. So what you need to hear is that, is that if, if we're talking about a sinner being a slave to sin, they're not a slave to sin out of coercion. Nobody is twisting a sinner's arm to sin. It's what happens. It's what comes naturally. It's the outflow of the desires. The problem is what's inside and what hasn't happened. And so, and so for a sinner, for someone who doesn't know Jesus, sin just flows from us. Similarly, those whose eyes have been opened to the beauty and to the glory of Jesus and who understand this great and mighty God we serve the desires in our hearts change. And so we're not being obedient out of coercion or that we haven't been beat down into obedience, but it flows from the heart. We desire obedience. If you just look at, at, at chapter 5, verse 5, and I won't, but remember from months ago where we talked about where Paul writes that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. And so when we see and taste God and his love and who he is, that we are changed. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in talking about this process, really brings something home to me. I just I just love the old faithful preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I think he died, passed away in the in the in the 80s. Faithful man of God. Um, but he talks about in talking about being a slave to obedience he talks about it in terms of the love relationship. And he, he talks about, and this is so true, right? Talks about that we are enslaved to what we love. And the example that I think about a little bit is, um, if we think about it in terms of passions and, and being enslaved to what we love, you know, men or women who are married, who love their spouses, um, I would say that there are things that you enjoy and things that you do that if you were not married, you wouldn't do. I, I mean, you know, let's be honest. I mean, I hate to admit this because I'm kind of a pig at heart, but I probably would not put the toilet seat back down if I wasn't married. You know, my, my free time would be spent doing other things. But when we love our spouse and we desire to be with them, isn't it interesting that our passions, our desires, 
change and are bent in certain ways. I, I, I'll give you another really uh, dumb example and a plug. I need to be paid for this in cheeseburgers. I had the best cheeseburger this week that I've ever had. I'll tell you where later. But I can't get my mind off this thing. It was so good that I, I, I randomly find myself thinking about this cheeseburger. And so in some sense, right, in some sense, there's a part of me that's enslaved to this cheeseburger because it's taking up my time and my energy and my thoughts. It could be because I was in India for so long and didn't get any good meat, but it's there's something going on here. And when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, think back over the verse that I quoted in chapter five, verse five, that God's love has been poured out in our hearts. And when we truly tasted and seen the goodness and greatness of God, absolutely we're enslaved to his love because it is so great. But if our love is for this world and its pleasures and its desires, absolutely we're enslaved to this world and that we're enslaved to sin. And so this is important. These first verses, verses 16 through 18 in this section, really kind of lay this out for us. And in, 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 as it's answering this question, should we continue to sin? It's really laying this out for us that no, you know, that that's not who you are. You're not enslaved to that anymore. You're enslaved to obedience and to righteousness. And then in verse 19, we kind of have this trans, we have this transition. And beginning in verse 19, there's two parts to 19, and they, they do fit together really nicely. Um, so in verse 19, it says, Paul is speaking here. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. And so what Paul is saying is, uh, he's saying, you know, that I know that these are some hard things that I'm teaching. So I'm giving you some metaphors and some examples. Now, I'm not going to make a comment on, in chapter 6, his metaphor is slavery. And in chapter 7, his metaphor is marriage. I'm not going there. I just think that's kind of funny. But Paul's using metaphors here because it's hard for us to understand these things. It's hard for us to comprehend. And so as he's saying, I'm using a metaphor and I'm going to continue to use this metaphor of slavery. He goes into the command that we get from this passage. And let's look at the command. Says for so I'm speaking in, 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 in these terms, I'm using this metaphor because of your weakness, because of your lack of understanding, because this is hard. And he says, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And there's three things that I want you to see here in this passage. The first thing in understanding this passage and getting this, and this lays out the rest of the, the verses for us, but the first thing that I want you to see in this passage is notice the comparison. Notice even the wordings. Paul uses this just as, so now. And, and, and one of the things that was brought to my mind as I was studying and reading and looking at this is, is notice it says, just as, you presented, past tense there, you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. And so there's something in this comparison. 
that, that he's wanting us to get this just as so now. And, and what my feeble mind tells me is how hard before you were a Christian, how hard did you have to think about sinning? Not at all. Thank you, Trudy. Not at all. Paul has been going and going and going and talking about the natural inclination towards sin, towards lawlessness for the unbeliever. And remember, what we're not saying is that every unbeliever is a murderer. One of the things that we've constantly upheld as we've talked about sin and sinners through this is that we praise God that sinners aren't as bad as they could be. There's a common grace there that keeps that. But the bent of the life is away from God. It's towards sin. It's towards lawlessness. And, and we've defined lawlessness and sin in terms in, in Romans 1 of not giving God the praise and glory and honor he deserves. And so the life is bent that way. And we don't have to think about that when we're sinners. And so, Paul, what he's saying here is just as that was in you before you were a Christian, so now the command is present your body as slaves to righteousness in this same way. And my hope and prayer for this sinner, and I can give testimony to some of this, is that years of following the Lord, it becomes more and more natural. That the Holy Spirit does something when you get into His Word and when you're reading His Word and when you're, when you're in, a, in, a, in a community of believers that are encouraging and pushing you towards holiness and godliness, that that change that God produces in you is that it becomes more natural to do what the Scripture tells us to do. And the other reason it becomes more natural is because it's what we desire to do. So this, there's the comparison. Comparison. The second thing I want you to see in this verse is the command. The command here in verse 19. It says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. So it says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Now, do you remember the first kind of command that we hit in this? Verse 13. Let's look at that. And you'll see uh, similarity. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And when it talks about the word here for members is actually parts of the body. And so what Paul is telling us here is present the parts of your body as slaves, as under control of God, as under control of a life that is leading to righteousness and holiness and sanctification. And so another way to, to, to say this would be this, and I've just written down a couple. There are many, 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 many more. But to present your eyes in such a way that we use our eyes in such a way that when we look through our eyes, that we begin to see people as God sees people. We begin to see people in need and desire to, to help. We begin to see people as, as, as lost and needing the gospel. And so our eyes are, are fixated on that and that we 
aren't anymore using our eyes to view things and to look at the world in such a way that it produces more and more lawlessness. But rather, we use our eyes to read God's word, to inform our minds so that we begin to change how we see the world. That we use our mind to think on the things that are above, the things that are good, the things that are holy, the things that are profitable. That our minds are given over to goodness, to good things. What about your mouth? (laughs) We don't struggle with this one at all, do we? That as a Christian, we hand over, we present, we hand over our mouths to a way and a pattern of life that blesses and doesn't curse. That builds up and doesn't tear down. That promotes unity and avoids dissension and and fractions. That we use our mouths in such a way. What about your hands? That we use these hands, we give them over to the Lord so that our hands are used to serve and not to be served. And that our hands are used to to make peace and not to strike. That our feet are used to carry and to promote the gospel and to walk in ways of peace. Not used in such a way. To where we're walking in a path of destruction. These are just a few examples of what it means to present our members to God for the purpose of righteousness under the control of the sovereign Lord of the universe. And this is a command. And so one is the comparison to the command three. Three, what I want you to get from this verse is the result. Look at the result, and I think this is important. So let's back up. It says, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. So the idea here is that just as you formerly you were presenting yourself over to lawlessness, which resulted in further lawlessness. So there was this process of becoming more and more lawless. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And the idea and, and, and the grammar behind this text, I believe, is, is, is taking us to the normal way that the Bible um, understands sanctification. Sanctification is the fancy word for us, to be, for us to say, becoming more and more holy. And what I want you to see in this text is what I believe when it's talking about sanctification, it's talking about a process that's progressive. And I said last week, I think you'll hear me use... My examples over and over because I don't have any new ones. But when we talk about sanctification and becoming more holy, don't you wish it was just a straight line that you could just mark? Yeah, you know, last year I was here, here I'm here. You know, this is a straight line. But that's not the way that it happens, right? The way that it happens is, is more like this. <laughs> We're in this process. We're in this process. But we are moving and we are moving towards the Lord. But at times in this process, it, it feels like we may be Somewhere else, but that God is working, God is producing and we're acting and we're moving into a direction. And so when we come up against texts like this, where we get the sense that this is not necessarily an overt warning, but we get the sense of this warning that if we're not doing this, that we're doing the other, that what God does in the heart and life of a believer 
is that when a believer hears a text like this and hears the result of of living and presenting yourself in a way that's unrighteous or continuing in sin because you're under grace and not under the law, that God uses these texts as guardrails in our lives. Another metaphor you've heard me use, that when we hear it, we kind of bump up against it and come back. And some of us live on that guardrail a little too long. (laughs) Martin Luther had a really good quote that I saw this week um, talking about sanctification. He says this. This is a direct quote. This life is not godliness, but growth in godliness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not now what we shall be, but we are on the way. The process is not yet finished, but it has begun. This is not the goal, but it is the road. At present, all does not gleam and glitter, but everything is being purified. What a great, great biblical, doctrinally sound perspective. That we are in the process of becoming what we are going to be. So we saw those three things from this command. And then what happens in the rest of the text is that, is that we're given this command. And then verse 20 through 23 kind of gives us the foundation or the support of this command. And, and another way to look at it, and so I'm going to word this in such a way, you're going you're to hear my wording, you're going to hear these phrases repeated um, as we look at these verses. But, but I feel like that if, if you want to look at it, if you're a place um, like many of us, where many of us are, where you're saying, you know, I desire holiness. I desire to be better. I, I, I think when you read these verses, when you hear these verses like they're meant to be read, you'll begin to understand the foundation of how to follow this command. And these really great, wonderful themes uh, just begin, I think, to jump off the page at us. And so, so let's start with verse 20 and just work our way uh, down to verse 23. It says, For, so, so present your members... As slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now, this verse sounds way more complicated than what it is. All this verse is telling us is this. Is that when you are an unbeliever. When you're an unbeliever, you can't be righteous. So so what this verse is telling us is, is that present your bodies as slaves to righteousness because you are no longer under the curse of sin and death. Understand? Easy, easy. And so that's the that's the goal here, that God has freed you from the power of sin and death. Therefore, act. Therefore, act. Let's look at verse twenty one. Therefore, therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of these things is death. And so what Paul is telling us here is that if you want to look at one of the things that empowers us 
to present ourselves to a life of righteousness and godliness resulting in our sanctification, one of the things that should do that is for you to think about your former life and think about what ends that former life was taking us. So I want you to think about it this morning. Now, some of you don't have the benefit, uh, not benefit. Some of you were saved at an early age. And God is merciful in that. My prayer for my kids is that they have a very boring testimony. That is my prayer for my kids. I do not want them to go through some of the struggles that Casey and I went through. I don't want that for them. But if you had a life where you remember the days and the times where you were not a Christian, you can think back to your actions. And one of the things that should happen as you think back on that is that the, the emotion that should rise up is like shame. And Man, I was heading this direction. Like as a believer now, looking back on that, man, I was heading to this crazy place. I don't even understand how my head could be so backwards on those things. And what Paul is saying here, what Paul is saying here is that the Christian life being changed, that miracle that John MacArthur talked about, says that your taste buds have been changed. Your taste buds have been changed and no longer do you desire this 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 bitter death. But your taste buds have been changed and you now look at that in shame and you now realize that that was leading to death. And so it motivates us to live in a way that's much different, which we see in verse 22. So present yourselves as slaves to righteousness because, verse 22, now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, which is eternal life. So you present your members, you present your members because your reward is great. I, I want you to notice something in this in this text. This is this is a wonderful, wonderful verse that that I think that we can just gloss over. The first thing that I want you to see is, is look at the beginning of the verse. But now having been freed. And so the basis of being able to present yourself over to slaves for righteousness is that you have been freed in the past tense from sin. And not only have you been freed, but you have been enslaved to God. And the result of that is sanctification. And the result of sanctification is eternal life. This verse parallels beautifully Romans 8, 28 through 30. And many of you know this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So notice there's salvation. In, in, in that the one who is saved, the one who God has ransomed, that he did so to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren and those whom he predestined. He also called and those whom he called, he also justified and to those he justified, he also glorified. That God, in His mercy, when He saves us, saves us and does something, and then He does something, He justifies us, and then He sanctifies us, and in the end, He glorifies us. 
And again, what we see throughout all of these verses so far is you have God as the great actor. Have the great actor notice, but now having been freed from sin, notice this verse doesn't say having freed yourself from sin. It says having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. And so here again, we have this wonderful, wonderful pattern that we see in these verses of God Acting on our behalf. Therefore, since God is at work, you act. And then lastly. Last verse. See, I did it. So the last thing I want you to see, the fourth thing I want you to see about presenting yourselves as slaves to righteousness Present yourself as slaves to righteousness because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And in many ways, this is just a restatement of verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves to obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? So in many ways, it is it is a just a restatement of that. And what it is telling us is that remember last week, we talked about the difference between being under the law and under grace. And and so what happens here is that we look at this and we look at this verse, it tells us is the reason that you can present yourself as a slave to God is because you are no longer under the law. Because if you were under the law. The wages, the payment for being under the law is death. Now, if you are a believer, you can present your members as slaves to God for righteousness because you are no longer under the power and the domain of sin whose wages is death, but you have been freed and you are now under the grace of God and under the grace of God, the result, the end result of being under the grace of God is eternal life. So this frees you to present your members, present your members to God for righteousness and holiness and sanctification. So because of the great work that God has done in granting you salvation and miraculously changing you, you act. Who ever said the Christian life was simple? <laughs> and in understanding some of the doctrines of the Bible and some of the things that 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 come together. And I want you this morning to be sure that you see the pattern and that you begin to really think and drink from this, because I think it is just so powerful that our power and our ability and our desire for holiness comes from God. And not only does it come from God, but then because it comes from Him, because it's sure, because God is trustworthy, because God can do what we can't do, and the foundation there is sure, then He can command us to do what the impossible. And that is to walk more and more in righteousness and holiness. Now, 
if you want a further uh, reading on what's wrong with with you and me as a Christian whose desires get messy, read Romans chapter seven. Which we will do. I don't know how long it'll take us to get through it. And then if you want, okay, well, Lewis, I'm I'm getting this lesson. If you want to say, okay, so how do I overcome this? Read Romans 8. (laughs) It's there. Talks about the spirit's work. But I don't just want to leave us there. I want to leave us with some help and a word of hope. You know, we are all broken. All of us are broken. None of us are what we will be. And I'm very aware that as I'm speaking to you this morning, that there are various um, levels of brokenness. There are various um, degrees to which you're dealing with brokenness in your life. For some here this morning, there may be some sin patterns that as I am, as, as we're reading this text and walking through this text, that there is just... Shame and guilt and conviction that, that have come over you. There may be others that are, that are doing pretty well. But if you sit and think about it, you can get to that place. The, the areas in your life that you know that where it need to be rooted out. Where you're no longer presenting that over as slaves to, to sin. But you're giving that over to slaves as righteousness. We're all in this process. It's just some this morning as they come in here are more defeated than others. And some of you feel that defeat more than others. So I want to give you just a couple of words of encouragement. That I want you to take heart as a Christian. And the biggest word of encouragement that I can give you. If you're broken and you're hurting this morning. And you're broken over your own sin. And you see the dichotomy in your life. The biggest confidence that I can give you this morning is this, is that God is at work in you. Don't forget that. Don't let Satan cause you to despair this morning. That whatever you're going through, whatever sin that is involved in your life, whatever is whatever is 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 pulling at your soul. Know if you're a believer that God is at work in you. And he can and he will deliver you from that. It's not hopeless. The call of the Christian life is a call to fight. It's a call to fight that sin in our own life. And so I want to encourage you that the biggest word of encouragement is God is at work. And if you need help this morning, the first place is to cry out to God and to admit and to confess that sin and to go to his word. Because one of the things that we have, believers, we have the very words of the God of the universe given to us in this book that we can read to help us. And so you must get into this word and let it work in you. Let the word produce. Let the word uproot. The other encouragement I would give you is that God has also given you the body of Christ. That God has given you the body of Christ as a means to to work and to help and to encourage and to to help encourage you towards holiness and help deter you from a path of destruction. 
you know, the, the word tells us to bear one another's burdens, to confess to one another, to encourage one another towards godliness. And I wonder why we don't see more of that going on. I don't wonder. It's pride. I'm not saying, I've said this before, I'm not saying that, so what we do is that we have an open mic, right, and you just come confess your sins, or we just go down the row. But what I am saying, what I am saying is that God, if you are a member here, or if you are attracted to this body of believers who strives to to take God's word for what it is as God's word, then our covenant to one another is to do this sort of thing. This is what body life is all about. And so you need to find someone here that you can be honest with. That'll encourage you. And the other thing that he's given us, and this is, again, this is looking forward to chapter 8, but we can never underestimate this, is that God is at work in us through his word, through his body, the church, and ultimately, and in a massive, massive way, through his spirit. That his spirit is at work within you. And don't neglect this. Don't neglect the spirit's work within you. That God, through his spirit, takes the words of the Bible and uses it to convict to conform, to mold. And I would just ask you this morning, don't resist this. He knows your struggle. He knows your sin. He's not giving up on you. He is working and producing something in you. Present your bodies. Present your members. Present your members to righteousness. The end is sure. So we can do this with great confidence. There should be no such thing as a defeated Christian in his daily walk. And the reason is, is because the end is sure. Because we serve a God who tells us he is the beginning and the end. And all things happen and exist through him and by him. The end is sure. So Christian, brother, sister, gain confidence push forward. So don't harden your heart towards him. And I see this in our walk with the Lord. I, I, I see this really kind of happen in, in two extremes. That I want to encourage you not to do. One is, is that, you know, someone may come to me or I may have a conversation with someone and they're talking about their sanctification or you start talking about sanctification or becoming more holy, and they describe the process of sanctification as kind of like sitting in a room and praying, waiting for a billboard to happen before they act. You've all been there. And one of the things that we neglect so often, if that's your bent, is that God has spoken. I can't tell you the number of people that come to me and they say, I want to do the godly thing. And as they start talking, I don't know where the godly thing is. I'm like. He's spoken. It doesn't mean that the Bible is exhaustive and gives us the answers to all things in all situations. The Bible didn't tell me where to go to college, who to marry. It didn't tell me any of those things. 
But there are certain things that it does tell us. And on those things, we are not to sit in a room and pray. We are to act in the confidence that God is at work and has given us his word. And the other extreme that I see that's dangerous. In closing. Is the pull yourself by your own bootstraps up by your own bootstraps, Christian. Who acts before thinking, who acts before praying, who acts before going to God's word. Who acts before examining their own heart. So, brother and sister. Can you heed the command this morning? To present your members to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. In other words, it's like we started this morning. Do you believe that God is who he says he is? Do you believe that the God of the universe is the sovereign Lord of the universe? Do you believe that his word is true? Do you believe that as a believer, it is our responsibility to place ourselves under that word and trust the Lord? If you do, your confidence will bolster and you will follow the command in the scripture this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. God, I'm so thankful. That your word holds in tension. This idea, many tensions, these two ideas. One is that. You have created us in a certain way. You have redeemed us to a certain way of living. And yet there's a constant understanding in the Bible that we are in process. We're not perfect. But God, I'm also thankful that you don't leave us the way we are. You don't leave us in that imperfection and just tell us it's okay. That you are doing something. You are creating in us. You are making us more like your son. And you're doing that for your glory so that when the world sees us they see a clearer and clearer reflection of who your son is god i pray that we would never be satisfied but god i pray that that unsatisfaction would be a joyful confident unsatisfaction that moves us into laying down our lives and presenting our members over and over and over again to be used for your purposes. God, forgive us of our sins. God, convict us of our sins. God, create in us even today, take us from one degree of glory to another. God, we can pray this confidently and boldly because of the work that you did by sending your son, in whose name we pray, amen.